When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was in turmoil, asking, who is this? There are few questions in the Bible with more universal relevance that remain pertinent over the time, space, and culture that separates us from the day of Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. The question in the crowd, who is this, is a question for us too. It's what much of the Bible is about. It turns our attention from ourselves to Jesus, and it draws us into God's word, to Jesus Christ, as we hear our own question being asked right there in the pages of Matthew, among the people in the crowd. With references to the Psalms, and the prophets of Israel, the Gospel of Matthew helps us to answer that question. Who is this? In verse 5 of chapter 21, Matthew quotes Zechariah 9, verse 9, from our first lesson, which says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion! Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem! Behold, your king is coming to you! Righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. When the people welcoming Jesus into the city cry, Hosanna to the son of David, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest heaven. That's a reference to Psalm 118 verse 25, which we just sang together. The word Hosanna is a Greek rendering of Hebrew and Aramaic phrases that mean, Save now. Hosanna is what you say to someone who can save you, who can deliver you from oppression. As we learn in Zechariah, it's something that you say to a king, to a champion going to face your oppressor. Calling Jesus the son of David is a further indication that the crowd sees Jesus as a king in the line of King David. All of that fits Jesus, not in the way that we in the crowd imagine it to. Like the crowd, we want Jesus to be a champion on our own terms. We define the problem and send the king out to do the dirty work for us, to do our winning for us, to fight our battles, and to come home with the plunder. The trouble with Jesus' kingship is that he shows us that the problem is actually with us. Think of Jesus' treatment of the law in Matthew, in the Sermon on the Mount in particular. Just two months ago, we heard from that sermon, Jesus say, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not one letter, not one stroke of a letter will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same, will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. 
For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Yikes. That's from Matthew chapter 5, the same gospel from which our gospel reading, which was first this morning, was taken. The very next week after we heard that reading, two months ago, we heard Jesus go through Mosaic commandments about murder and adultery and lying, not to tone them down, but to up the ante and make us even more culpable than we were under Moses. No wonder the crowd turns on Jesus soon after he arrives in Jerusalem. He isn't fitting into their mold of a king. He's not there to vanquish the Romans. He's there to vanquish the old Adam within us. The sin that turns us against God and so thoroughly infects humanity that it has become our very nature. That's the enemy that Jesus enters Jerusalem to face. And to do that, the Son of God took on our human nature, yet without sin. So that being tempted as we are to rebel against God and suffering with us the consequences of sin and dying, he might exchange our sin for God's righteousness. Our mortality and alienation from God for eternal life as members of God's own family. The second stanza of the closing hymn that we'll sing this morning answers well our opening question, who is this? Ride on, ride on in majesty, says the hymn, in lowly pomp, ride on to die. O Christ, thy triumphs now begin, or captive death and conquered sin. That's the sort of conqueror that Jesus is. He comes to conquer the sin to which we are born slaves, to bury it with him in the tomb, to deliver us from its oppression, and to resurrect us with him, righteous, to walk in newness of life, this is the gift that we receive when we die and rise again in holy baptism, as Veronica did last week. In his explanation of baptism in his small catechism, Martin Luther says, Such baptizing with water means that the old Adam in us should by daily contrition and repentance be drowned and die with all the sins and evil lusts, and that a new man daily come forth and arise, who shall live before God in righteousness and purity forever. And so baptism is not only a one-time event, but it's also a continuing reality, a daily exercise of repentance and putting on that new man. Our epistle lesson tells us what that means. Paul writes to the Philippians, Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness. 
And being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Having the mind of Christ means not despising humility or even humiliation on earth. We can serve one another without fear of falling beneath God or man's standard of dignity because the humility of servanthood, which is despised by men, Jesus took on himself and made it glorious. We don't need to impress people. We don't need to prove ourselves better than others. We don't need to pull others down so that we look better in comparison. We need not fear humiliation, and we need not fear death. God has given his redeemed people a dignity that we cannot earn, the dignity of being his baptized child. God gives us freedom that we may have life and have it abundantly, willing to take on risks and tasks that, without the confidence of redemption, we would never dare to face. And so we don't need to cower before the prospect of humiliation. And we don't need to disdain or flee from success or recognition either. We don't seek praise, but we don't need to shun it. And certainly we don't need to bury God's gifts and stop succeeding in order as a sort of false humility to avoid recognition or success. Jesus Christ is our servant king who frees us from fear of humility, from death, which is the ultimate humiliation, and from fear of success. We can love and obey God and love and serve our neighbors whatever the consequences, knowing that we are heirs of Christ, our servant king and Savior. That is life as a baptized child of God. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Savior, Lord and King, Jesus Christ.